Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. Sometimes it, uh, things happen in our life and it certainly can have an impact of uh, with looking and seeing different things. There's been many turning points in all of our lives. Some of it can be moves. I know when we moved from Iowa to Texas and Texas to Oklahoma and then on to Alabama. I wouldn't have met Gene if I hadn't gone to college in Alabama. It has a lot of different things. Uh, also, you know, people. It can be parents, it can be siblings. Uh, Bud Peterson had a great influence in my life. Dr. Stats, Dr. Rayford, really in college, a lot of different people. But I think also there's a lot of different uh, events that happen too, or questions you get asked. Two very famous questions that were asked in our military history of our country. How do you remember what John Paul Jones was asked as his ship was sinking? He was asked to surrender, and what did he say? just begun to fight. Gene and I happened to be in Bastogne in 1978. And what famous battle occurred just outside of Bastogne? The Battle of the Bulge, which we, the uh, Allied forces should have lost. And they were, Germans asked for our surrender because we were inferior in numbers as well as tanks and everything. And what did the person in charge of the Allied forces, the American, send back. You're nuts. You're nuts. nuts. The Germans didn't know what it was, and it took them quite a while to figure out what nuts meant when they said that. There, you, know, you know, pecans, you know, what are you talking about? And uh, anyway, obviously the Lord was very gracious to allow the Allied forces to win that battle. Uh, Gene's uncle lost his hearing, great uncle <coughs> lost his hearing in one ear in the Battle of the Bulls. And, uh, so again, questions are often important to be asked. Great implants. And I was wondering, you know, because we've had sunrise services, thinking of this morning, we up early, the sunrise service. How many times do you think about it, giving over 30 different Easter Sunday services to Dalton Hill, how can you do something different? Thursday morning I woke up and the Lord laid this on my heart, so I'm going to give it to you. This was the question that I was, the Lord put in my mind out of John chapter 20. I'll give it to you and then we'll look at other passages. In John chapter 20, if you remember, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb on Sunday morning. The stone is rolled away and she asks, What have you done with what? My Lord. That's the question I want to ask you. What have you done with my Lord? I think it's important well, to ask that question. You know, it's something to ponder. Notice it didn't say, you think about it when you look in the book of Samuel, if you remember the people asked Samuel, pray to your God. Saul then later on, when the things weren't going well, he turns to Samuel and said, will you please pray to your God? Why didn't he say, pray to my God? So I think it's an important question we have to answer. What is your relationship 
to my God, but it can come to two parts. She's asking with the crucified Lord, what would you do? And I want you to think about it, he's asking that question. Jesus had told him in John chapter 13 that he was going to die. He also told him, you know, preparing him ahead of time. He also had told them in John 13 that he was going to leave them afterward. That's what the preface comes into John 14. If you remember in verse 1 and so on of John 14, what does he say? In my Father's house or what? Many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Right? And then Thomas asks the question, but we don't know the way. How do we get there? And then Jesus tells you the path on how to get there in 14.6. Important to understand the context. I am what? The way. The truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So the question you can think about, if you want, how many of you want a personal relationship with my Lord? Not everybody has it. He tells you the path. It's a question all you can answer. But it's also interesting in John 11, let's turn over there for a moment, we're still talking about this personal relationship. If you remember, there's obviously things happen in our life we don't understand. In John chapter 11, Jesus knew what he was going to do. If you remember, Lazarus is sick and he's asked to come. And Jesus doesn't come. He waits. And if you were Mary and Martha, how many of you would have wondered, he's your friend, you're our friend, why did you not come? Interesting question. And you'll notice the puzzlement you have in verse 21 by Martha and also in verse 32 by Mary. Both of them basically said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's kind of... So in other words, they're saying, Jesus, you wouldn't have allowed it to happen. You would have healed him. But now he's gone. How many times do we ever do the same thing to the Lord? You could have done something, you didn't. Why didn't you? I think it's important to recognize in Isaiah 55, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not ours. We don't always understand what He's doing. Be puzzlement. But I want you to look at the proclamation that she does. Notice in verse 22 what Martha says. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother shall rise again. And Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. It's amazing how people say that resurrection is never taught in the Bible. They haven't read the Bible. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me shall uh, live even if he dies. Obviously, they talk about physical death and then spiritual resurrection. It's physical. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. But you believe in this. She said, notice her proclamation. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. Son of God, even He who comes into the world. Does she believe personal proclamation of who Jesus is? It's not, it isn't my Savior, it is her Savior. It's an interesting question you can have, the proclamation that you have. Do you believe it? So the first one question when you talk about what, is, what have you uh, done with my Lord, in Mary's case, in Martha's case, it was their Lord. 
The reason I asked that, just last week, Will teaches at a uh, private Christian school in Broken Arrow, my son, and he has some international students. And international students came up and said, would you pray for us? Because praying to our God doesn't work. Coming from a Muslim background. It's an interesting question. So what should you do? Exactly right. It's interesting too, you had the exact same thing in our prayer letter that we got from Adam and Natasha right here. There is a Muslim family and they're seeking the truth and they had a, a basically a bright light and a vision from Christ. Haven't turned to Christ yet, but what are they <laughs> going to do with my Lord? It's a personal question to ask. So I want to ask you the same thing. What have you done with my Lord? Second one I want you to think about is look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A passage we have been through many times on, on different uh, Easter Sundays, but I want you to think about not only personal re- relationship to God, to my Savior, but also... It was prophesied. You notice in verse 3 and 4, Paul makes the statement, For I delivered to you that of which of, of uh, first importance, that what I received, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose again according to the Scriptures. And when you think about that, everything happened was prophesied ahead of time. Genesis 3, we're told. Genesis 12, we're told. Genesis 49, we're told. <coughs> Micah 5, we're told. Isaiah 7, we're told. All these prophecies ahead of time. Daniel chapter 9, we're even told when he would be here. So I want you to think about it. What have you done with my Lord? One personal relationship, but what do you do with all the prophecies that you have? All the different things. It's really easy. Let me give you one. This is an actual book written by our third president of the United States. The Thomas Jefferson Bible. You ever read it? It starts off, and he basically his this is the Gospels, according to Thomas Jefferson. He got rid of everything that he didn't think should be there. And it starts off, there is no virgin birth. He also states in here that he basically, I've never, in this document, in proof, I am a real Christian. I've taken out everything that's not supposed to be there. It starts off with no resurrection. There is not a single miracle. Why? Because miracles can occur. And this is how he ends it. This is how he ends the Gospels. The last part, talked about it was Joseph Arimathea put in his, in his tomb. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, in the garden a new supper, whereas it was never a man yet laid. There they laid Jesus, rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher, and departed. The end. According to Thomas Jefferson, where is Jesus? He's in the grave. No resurrection because it doesn't occur. So again, it doesn't matter what Scripture says. It doesn't matter on any of it. It's a miracle that can't happen. So what are we going to do with prophecy that's in Scripture? What are we going to do with all of it? And I think it's important is what is my source of authority? Second, uh, Peter was to tell us 
they weren't authors, were not moved by human hands, but by the Holy Spirit. That's why all Scripture is inspired by God. It's a totally different book. So first of all, what's your personal relationship with my Lord? What's the second one is, what do you do with all the prophecies? The third one, what about look over in Luke uh, 24? What about personal testimonies? According to the Old Testament law, how many testimonies do you need for something to be true? Two or three? Okay. In the 1 Corinthians 15, which I meant to have you look at, but in verse 6 it says 500 at one time, most of which are still alive. If 500 witnesses came up and said, I saw the risen Lord, I talked to him, what would that say to you if you were on the jury? When I was on the jury in 2001, we only had circumstantial evidence. We didn't even have a single eyewitness. If I had 500 eyewitnesses saying that, yes, we saw this guy break in and we saw this had been different. But notice this eyewitness that you have, and you look at this in the personal testimony. In chapter 24, you have the ladies that's, that come, and you'll notice the angel is there in chapter 24, and the women come, and they're terrified. Notice in verse 5, uh, they're told, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, is verse 6, but he is risen. Remember, I spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. If you remember, that was the same thing that Jesus asked. Or remember, they asked, we want a sign. In Matthew chapter 12, he said, I'll only give you one more sign, I'll give you the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so likewise I'll be in the heart of the earth. How many days? Three days and three nights. That's the reason why, remember, he asked for the guards, talking about Herod. Asked, he said he was going to rise in three days. Therefore, put guards and seal the tomb. It's amazing how we think we can keep God out or keep God in, one or the other. And notice then what it says. They reported, they returned from the tomb, verse 9, reported all the things to the eleven and to the rest. And they then tell you who they are, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, also other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense and they don't believe. It's amazing how many times eyewitnesses people don't believe. You have that, so Mary says it, but they didn't believe. You then notice you go a little bit further on and it talks about the two on the road to Emmaus. And notice they're there. And they, Jesus comes and, and they don't recognize him. Uh, and notice their eyes were closed in verse, so far as recognition goes, in verse 16. In verse 19, they then start saying you what they has to say. And he said to them, they're asking, you don't know what's happening. They asked him 19. They said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was the prophet, mighty indeed, word and sight of God and all the people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up, the sentence to death to crucify him. But we were hoping that he was the one coming to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, it was the third day since these things happened. But also some of the women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb earlier in the morning. Did not find his body. They came and saying this thing and seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said. And him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all of the prophets that spoke. 
Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory, beginning from Moses with all the prophets? He explained, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. How does he prove the resurrection? Scripture. In Matthew 23, how did Jesus prove the resurrection of the Sadducees? Scripture. Remember, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If there was no resurrection, he should have said what? I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You think about it, the personal testimonies that you have, uh, all these different ones, and even their heart burns within them. And notice that immediately they get up and they go to Jerusalem, and John said they didn't believe again. So here you have the ladies tell them. Peter and John saw an empty tomb and didn't believe them. These two thou come and say they don't believe them. It's amazing how many times we don't believe in personal testimony. And uh, you can laugh about it, but uh, Rizzi was dating a young man. In fact, he actually visited here uh, when he, they were dating. And he had this. He and his dad uh, did not believe that we ever landed on the moon. It was all things that were made up, and they just somehow could do that on TV when we all saw it and everything else. And it didn't exist. No matter what facts you have, no matter what film you give them, no matter what happens, they don't believe. It's amazing, though, how many of us are the same way. We can have personal testimony, we can see everything, but we don't want to believe on the personal testimony. I think a lot of us are a lot like Gideon. The Lord just changed the fleece, right? Oh, well, no, maybe, do it again. You know, how many times do we want to have all these fleeces? But once you think about it, how do you receive people's personal testimony of what God has done in your life? They tell you what He's done in your life. So here you have the personal relationship. What is my, what's your relationship to my Lord? What about prophecy? How do you believe Scripture and what it says was going to happen? He told them ahead of time. Personal testimonies. Let me give you a, another one. What about personal encounters? Did we not read just a couple of personal encounters already here? But what about some personal encounters? In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 5, it said he appeared to Peter. Uh, twice we're told he appeared to Peter. Why would that be so significant? The last time Jesus and Peter had an encounter, what was Peter doing? Denying him. What kind of conversation do you think he might have had with Peter? Restoration. How important is it to meet the risen Lord for restoration? In John chapter 21, verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17, three different times Jesus says to Peter, Do you love me? Peter says, Yes. And then what does Jesus tell him to do? Feed my sheep. As a shepherd, what's the most important possession you have? So here you have, Peter had a personal encounter, God forgave him, Christ forgave him, and he now has a job to do. I don't care how many of us have messed up in a Christian life, we still can be restored. Go to the risen Savior and ask Him. He wants to use you. Second one, you think about it, go over to John 20, and remember this is the same one you have when you stop and think about it, John chapter 20. So you have the restoration. And if you remember, he appears to ten of the disciples in verse 19 to 25. 
and he appears to them, and obviously they now believe, because they didn't believe in verse 18. But notice in verse 24, Thomas was not there. We often call him Doubting Thomas. And notice what he says in 25. The other disciples therefore were saying to him, We have seen him. But he, talking about Thomas, said, His hands, the imprints, the nails, put my fingers in the place of the nails, and put my hands in his side, I won't believe. I don't care about your personal testimony. I must have a personal encounter with him. And I think it's important what is Jesus now granting eight days later in verse 26. He comes into the room. And if you were Jesus, how many of us would have scolded Thomas? It's an interesting question. He took Thomas from where he was at. And notice he says in verse 30, Reach here your finger. See my hands. Reach here your hand and put it in my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Notice he's now met the risen Savior. Some had met the crucified Savior. But how many have you met my risen Savior? Totally different ballgame. And I think it's important. That's why I said, I think the same thing, whether it's Adam and Natasha with this letter, whether it's this young man in school, I believe that if you truly seek the Lord and want an encounter with the risen Savior, He'll give it to you. But what are you going to do with it? You know, I really believe it. If you want to meet the risen Savior, ask Him. He'll show you. I believe He'll show you. So notice the thing. You think about the personal relationship. Do you have one? Do you believe in prophecy? Do you believe in a personal testimony? And also in the personal encounter. The third personal encounter, remember you have the restoration you can have. You can have the realization of who he is. But what about Paul in Acts chapter 9? Did he think he was doing what was right by killing all the Christians and doing stuff? And he noticed it in Acts chapter 20. It's an interesting Look over in Acts 20. Stop and think about it. He really thought he was doing what was right. In Acts 20. Excuse me, Acts 9, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 9, yes. And notice he's on the way. He has letters from Jerusalem to persecute and imprison anyone. Verse 3 of chapter 9 of Acts. It came about that as he was journeying, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise into the city, and it shall be told to you what you shall do. And then you'll notice then you have Ananias comes to him and lays his hands on him. And he turns to Christ. Reversal. How many people have one view of Jesus Christ, but when they admit their age and Savior, they do a complete about face? You know, I've been working with a Muslim who's very, very tied in his belief for the last 20 some years. And that's the whole thing you want for him to do a reversal of what he believes. He's not just a prophet, he's the Son of God. So I think about it. your personal encounter, restoration, the realization of who he is, or the reversal of what you originally thought.
So I think it's important for us, if you're really wondering about what Christ is or who He is in the resurrection, you ask Him, I'll guarantee you, I won't tell you when, I won't tell you how. That's not for me to say. But He will reveal Himself to you, whether it's through Scripture, through a believer, whatever it might be. The fourth thing I'd like you to think about, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, it says, You have been bought with what? A price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And when you think about that, you've been purchased. Jesus purchased, according to Isaiah 53, He was beaten beyond recognition. <coughs> and He did it for what reason? According to Romans 5, He loved us. And He did it for us. So if He purchased us, then He owns us. And what are we doing? I was thinking of probably the most vivid illustration I had saw of this was 35 years ago. I was working for my older brother. And he came in the room. We were talking about I was doing some work at their house. And uh, he came in and there was a huge bruise across his thigh. And he didn't have it there. And I saw him the last time. And I said what happened to you? And he kind of covered up and he's kind of embarrassed. And he said, well, I was trying, talking to Brian, my nephew who's been here, he said, I was trying to show him what it was for forgiveness and somebody taking somebody else's place. And he'd messed up and he didn't tell me what it was. It wasn't important. And therefore, I spanked myself, took his punishment instead of him. That's what it is. He purchased, he took his punishment that Brian should have had. Jesus took our punishment. He's purchased us. So what he's asking us to do is not that difficult when we think about what he's done. Because what do we deserve? The wages of sin is what? Death. You know, if I, if I just simply didn't get hell, that'd be pretty nice. But getting heaven is amazing. Because of what he's done. Besides purchase, don't you think about a public display? In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, called the Great Commission, what does it tell us? Go into all the world and make disciples, right? Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Who's that given to? Everybody? So how well have you done this last week telling others about Christ? How we act, what we say. In Matthew 5, what did Jesus tell us there? You are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Purifies, penetrates, does all kinds of things. Colossians 4, our, our speech is supposed to be with salt. Are we really helping people, preserving, penetrating with our speech? In verse 14 through 16, where they say, You are the light of the world. Do you agree we live in a dark world? Then we are the light that people. Why has He placed me here? Because I'm a light wherever I am. So that they will see your good works, according to verse 16, and glorify God who is in heaven. Am I the light that I need to be? What about career? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what does it tell you? You are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Exact word. With the ministry of reconciliation. And it then tells you, you are little Christ on this earth. 
I always really look at it that way. Wherever I go, I am His representative. And the only Christ that most people are going to see is you. So how well am I doing? That's why I ask you the question. What are you doing with my Lord? Is He just on the cross and I wear a cross? Which is fine. What about the risen Lord? If He's a risen Lord, I have to give an answer to Him someday. Including today. So think about it. Your personal relationship, do you have one with you? Or do you just know things about it? Do you believe what Scripture says in the prophecies? If you do, one prophecy says we're going to stand before Him. 2 Corinthians 5. Could that be today? How many of you are ready to meet Him today? What about the personal testimony? You have all the different testimonies that people tell you. Do you believe them? What about a personal encounter? Has Jesus Christ changed your life personally? Has He restored a fellowship, a realization, a reversal, whatever it might be? You've been purchased. Think about the purchase part with an automobile. How many of you ever got a lemon? You know the lemon law? You bought one, it won't work? What do you want to do? Christ has purchased us. Are we a lemon? You think about it. He has a job He wants us to do too. And then last of all, public display. Are you the salt and light of the earth? An ambassador wherever you go. So you think about the resurrection. I'm so thankful. In fact, it can be shown in so many different ways. This was given to me. Right here. From two people right over here. Bob Maryland sent it to our house. On the front. He's risen. How many people are going to tell you that you ought to put this on a statement to send out on real estate? They're going to tell you what? Don't do it. Stay as, you know, don't get political. Don't get religious on any of it. You're going to lose business. But you're making a statement because Jesus is my Lord. And He is risen. And my challenge is, how many of us are giving out cards where people know who we are? I had one person, a friend of mine, a number of years ago, wouldn't put a bumper sticker on his car. I said, how come? Because I don't want people to know I'm a Christian the way I drive. <laughs> I'm being sure, You know? Okay? Where are you going to be a Christian? Not where you drive, not where you work, not where anything else? We're trying to be a light and hiding under a bushel on so again, I ask you, what are you doing with the Lord? We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 830 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 945, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.